Welcome back to another episode of Entrepreneurs of Edmonton. Matthew Donnelly here with Chad Badman. And Chad, today we were talking with Liam Murphy from Fireball, second generation entrepreneur. What were your takeaways today? Yeah, a couple, couple, couple of things. I think you know entrepreneurship is something that can be nurtured when you're young. I, we we heard a little bit about the you know the 4-H uh, cattle, the crazy cow uh, program. That was I think that was very interesting, but it kind of set him on a path of of business. And then and then the value of of doing something like a college pro painter to put yourself through university, right? It's that nurturing of of entrepreneurship skills, business skills that that can be pretty effective. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and the family dynamic, and this is something that you obviously can relate to in in two very different people with different ideas, different views of the world, trying to interact together. And I just really, I found Liam's approach refreshing, where he talked a lot about people building culture, who you surround yourself with is extremely important. And we're seeing that as a common thread uh, through multiple entrepreneurs. Yeah, we are, and uh, it's it's pretty critical. People and culture, I think, was was a key part of what made them successful. And and you know, having that support of everybody to to create growth, I think nobody wins alone. Uh, success, I think, is a is a team sport. Yeah, you betcha. <laughs> and I, I really like what he said, where this is all about people, not the product. And uh, it makes sense, you know, when you're when you're talking about oil change equipment, you know, not the most exciting thing, uh, but building the right culture gets people to be excited to go to work. Um, So let's get into it. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs of Edmonton podcast. Tune in to other entrepreneurs who have successfully navigated the Edmonton business landscape through their stories of adversity, triumphs, and strategic relationships. And now, your co-hosts, Chad Benman and Matthew Donnelly. Well, hey, Liam, just wanted to start off with a little like get to know Liam question and and find out something about you, uh, you know, in your in your world that that people may not know about you. That's that's kind of interesting that you could share with the listeners. You know, probably the, you know, on the personal side, that's not uh, super well known is, you know, despite being a, you know, maybe a city boy right now, I actually grew up in the country. We grew up north of Westlock. So uh, not farm boy per se. My my dad was in the working at the egg dealership, but, uh, yeah, I was very involved with the farm life and, uh, working at farms and 4-H and raising cattle. And that's kind of, was part of the, the upbringing that I really appreciated, you know, so now when, uh, thinking about, you know, my future, my kid's future, it's, it's kind of a bizarre, the thought of uh, raising kids in the, in the city. But, uh, so we, we try to ground ourselves with the getting out of the city quite a bit and, you know, experience some of the same things that I did as a, you know, as a, as a kid as well. So I'm curious about the, the the cattle and the 4-H. So did you actually go yeah. to that program? Like, did you did you raise oh, yeah. to raise a cow and then sell it at the end of the year? What was that like? Was Absolutely. I've heard a lot about that before, but you know, honestly, it was awesome. Like, it was as soon as I, we had an acreage, we didn't live on the farm, so I always uh, participate in that. At, you know, my friends and neighbors' houses at a couple different places, and you know, it was really cool. Like the, the some of the values that they kind of uh, preach in that organization is neat, and the the life skills that you learn, like, you know, simple things from tying uh, uh, knots and ropes and uh, how to show cattle and that kind of thing is, uh, is, is pretty awesome. You know, I'll share the uh, one, you know, my most memorable story of that whole process, uh, Chad, we, uh, in my third year, I guess it was probably my final year of doing that. The, for whatever reason, the, the calf that we, I was going to work with that year is uh, an Angus calf. He just had a death wish out for me. And the very first time that I went out to work with him, literally, like, he's just sitting in a pen. He uh, lays his eyes upon me and, uh, you know, just was wanting, thinking murder. And so he just looked at me, turned around, ran, jumped over probably 20 fences and was out. Uh, we, we couldn't bring him back in. So him and the other calf, my friends, we spent the whole day in the middle of minus 30 trying to trying to bring the calf back in and caught the one, but didn't ever catch mine. And uh, the, the calf was actually out in the wild Northwest lock uh, for like a month, <laughs> month and a half. And uh, until one of the neighbors actually on the Hutterite colony called in and let us know that they found this, this calf, uh, thankfully. But uh, you know, by that point, the, the most hilarious part of this all is, you know, the part of the 4-H program is you're trying to track the, the weight of your calf and the weight gain. And so that you can, you know, uh, kind of approach it from the business side, uh, tracking my, the calf that we had caught and were giving the proper food, 
they were the and looking at the weight of my calf that had been out in the wild, my calf had actually gained more weight living out in the wild in the middle dead of the winter. Like this thing, I think, was eating baby puppies and small children, and it was like this most evil animal I've ever had. You know, we tried, we tried, we tried to break it, but it, uh, you know, I almost literally almost killed me once or twice, and then it just was pretty much right off of a year because this thing was uh, evil. Freedom, man, freedom, oh. cow freedom. That's right. yeah. That's right. is yeah. so good. So, so Liam, one of my favorite TV shows uh, that I watch is called The Ranch on Netflix. Um, have you seen that? It's with Austin Kutcher yeah. and Sam Elliott. So I got to know, how realistic is The Ranch to what you experienced? Uh, how, how, uh, how similar is it or is it complete fabrication? You know what? I'd love to comment, Matthew, but it's like I haven't seen it. It's been on my list, but I haven't actually seen that at all. So I don't know oh, if I can okay. comment on that. Yeah, I, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no problem. Well, if, you, if you do watch it, it's uh, it's uh, it's a very funny show, and I'm really curious to see if it's uh, got any legitimacy to it at all. I think there's a whole yeah. storyline with this cow, though. You could go somewhere with this thing. Like, you could, you could really create, uh, you know, I could just see, like, a cartoon evil plot line here with yeah. this cow yeah yeah, I, it yeah well be- you know what the good thing was is uh you know while i i was certainly like not the born and raised farm kid that uh, uh like all the other people in there because i you know we grew up on an acreage so i was learning it all brand new in some sense but where, where i did excel was on the public speaking which is a big part of 4-h so i i, I brought home the public speaking uh, award for our club every year and uh, so that, at least that gave me a really good uh, basis for a a story to tell at the public speaking event. So, you know, I, I made uh, some uh, lemonade out of those lemons. That we had. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, that's no cool. doubt. Yeah. One of the hardest skills. And, you know, we've all heard that it's, you know, most people would rather be dead in the coffin than doing the eulogy, right? Because public speaking, so many people are afraid of it. So great skill to have. So Liam, why don't you paint us a picture of uh, the business, you know, the the business that, that you're involved in, maybe uh, size, employees, revenue, kind of whatever you're comfortable sharing, but just paint us a picture as, uh, you know, being the president of Fireball. Let us listeners know a little bit more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I guess at its core, this is a this is a family business, and I'm a second generation. So my dad, Joe Murphy, started the business back in the early '90s, '93. Uh, the core of the business where we got started was uh, basically oil change equipment. So you know, I would almost guarantee that everyone who's listening to this has had their the, most of their oil changes in the life of their vehicle have been through our equipment. So essentially, you know, the pumps and the tanks that store all the the oil and the piping to dispense it through the shop and track the oil as it goes into the vehicle. Like that's kind of the core core of the business that uh, where we got started. And then obviously it's, it's grown from there. So what, you know, the car dealerships and the truck shops and fast lube business as is still a big piece of it. Uh, but we're really, uh, a lot of the growth we find is in the mining industry. And so right now, uh, we know between the lubricant and the, the oil change equipment and in that side of things, as well as the refueling systems, uh, we're doing business across Canada, a little bit international, putting in these uh, kind of refueling and uh, oil change systems in the mine sites, uh, which is, you know, really cool, exciting industry to be involved in. And, you know, we feel blessed because uh, it's we have some diversity to uh, our, you know, our economy at Fireball where, you know, if, if, uh, oil's down, then gold's up. And if gold's down, then, you know, copper's up. But if copper's down, then coal's up. And there's, we have a little bit of uh, different commodity cycles that we're playing with. And it brings us to different parts of different parts of the country that you otherwise wouldn't explore into, you know, the Canadian North and uh, Northwest BC and Ontario and Quebec and all sorts of places. So yeah, it's a, it's a neat business now. Um, we're, we're right now we're uh, about 65 people, sorry, head, head count, um, which, you know, we were similar probably before the pandemic, then uh, just with uh, some of the attrition, we d- dropped it down a little bit uh, throughout the, the for, you know, initial COVID crisis to um, just manage that whole change in life. Uh, but we're back up to 65 now. Uh, we're doing about $20 million revenue, uh, generally speaking, uh, which obviously that has fluctuation year to year. Uh, the, the nature of our business, we're project-based construction cycles. So, you know, there is, there is variation, obviously, but uh, that's roughly the, the range that we're working with right now. Growing up in a family business, um, it has its own unique challenges. And I know I grew up yeah. in a family business. Did you? Um, yeah. And and I got pulled into all kinds of weekend work projects that <laughs> I don't know if I really wanted to do, but I was told I was going to do. So I know when I grew up, I was at a moment in my life where I said, I am never 
ever going to work with my dad again. And I kept that promise for a few years, but then I ended up going back still. Now, you know, he's retired, moved on from what he did. But I'm curious, like as you were growing up watching, you know, the family business, um, you know, you know, why did your dad pick that business? Like what happened? And and then what was your feeling as you're growing up in it, second generation? Like why did you want to be involved in it? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I mean I, I think you know, going way back and, you know, part of, uh, you know, including my dad, Joe, his story into this, like, you know, all of, all of my family, grandparents, we kind of talked about those rural roots were, were farmers. And so my dad grew up on a farm as well and ended up going to U of A for his uh, agriculture degree. You know, never really wanted to seize the the farming life like his, uh, his brothers did. Um, but so he went into, always like the equipment side of things. So uh, he worked for John Deere corporate for, 13 years, I believe. Um, so lived all across Canada. You know, my, my, uh, older brother was born in Moncton. I was born in Saskatoon. And then my, my little brother was born in Westlock where we finally kind of settled down where he was hoping to, to buy the dealership in town there. But, uh, you know, that actually didn't work out in the buying that, that dealership. Uh, so he, he always wanted to start his own and that's, he just basically went out uh, to the world to find a business to start and explored a bunch of different opportunities, you know, pallet manufacturing plants and different things. And when he first got started, actually, the the business was Alberta waste oil heating and we're putting in waste oil furnaces and had pressure washers and a few different things. And then, you know, uh, came into this, this line of equipment that we're doing now, the lubrication equipment, Graco is the main manufacturer. And, uh, you know, as fortune had, it just kind of took off. And, you know, I, I, I have a huge amount of respect for him. He's one of the smartest guys you'll ever, you'll ever meet and very contrary though, as well. He doesn't listen to, you know, traditional wisdom. And so where everyone says you got to have 10 business lines, he says, you know, if one business line can't stand on its own, then it's, uh, it's not worth having. So he was totally specialized, focused, focused and became, you know, literally, I, I can't imagine someone more knowledgeable or capable in the world at that specific business. And that would really, you know, gave fireball place in the market so um you know so he kind of grew up i grew up around that and when you know i remember when he was still working in the john deere dealership and when i was just a little kid and then uh at the time when he started the business you know it was a tough time and i don't know not tough time like it was you know uh, i think they were probably more strained than we were we realized as kid but you know my mom was uh you know, just had my little brother the business the business actually was incorporated the the week that my brother was born my and she was in the middle of doing her masters and you know they were remortgaging the house so so they they were the real entrepreneurial story we were just uh grew up around it but yeah i mean i certainly the the family business dynamic chad like it's 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 there like this fireball was you know kind of like the the so constant in our life right from as a kid like every shop that we've been in and every employee that's been through you know we've come to know over the years like i remember you know, little dad's working out front, you know, my brothers and I would be climbing the the rack in the back of the warehouse, uh, you know, just because it was like a jungle gym, which obviously is not, <laughs> you know, that's not uh, with uh, with safety regulations anymore. But, you know, we just, you know, we'd be riding the, the, the lift up and down, you know, cranking the lift up to the top of the ceiling and go back down, like, you know, just entertaining ourselves. So, yeah, we really grew up around it. Um, but I mean, I certainly kind of, like you said, I didn't, we, I worked the, you know, at Fireball in uh, junior high and high school in the summers and that kind of thing. So I've had the, the you know, the, it's been nice that I've been able to experience every side of the business, installations and service and warehousing and shipping, receiving and inside sales and everything. But uh, I, usually in university, I, when I took a business degree, I, I took entrepreneurship because I wanted to follow his footsteps of starting a business, not necessarily joining the family business. And then, you know, as the cards were, you know, just kind of came to be, we ended up, joining in short term just to cover the bills as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be and then uh, realized that that uh, you know the entrepreneurial side that I really appreciate and enjoy you can do that within the business and you know the, and ultimately there's just more resources and structure and that kind of thing in place to kind of help that so it, it's been a really incredible you know learning ground for myself and um, and now you know the last couple of years years that I've been in this, the president role is running the business. It's been, uh, been able to really flex that a little bit more that entrepreneurial side and, you know, think about the big picture strategy and whatnot. And, uh, and ultimately like, yeah, it's with, it's not without it's, it's, it's challenges as in the family business, because, you know, ultimately my, my dad and I, we have, you know, total mutual respect, but we're also very different. Like he's, he's very process driven, 
methodical, analytical, engineering type brain. And, uh, you know, there's not two, two ways to do something. There's one right way kind of thing, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm certainly more, you know, flexible, people-oriented and uh, creative in all likelihood. So we, we have a different leadership style, different way of doing it. But I think it's just come to show that there's more than one path to success. And I appreciate what he brings to the table and he appreciates what I bring to the table. And it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun overall. So Chad, I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but one of, one of the things I enjoy most about these interviews is when we get to talk about the past and how different it is. Like when we talked to Gay Dirk, she talked about putting her six-month-old baby in a blanket in a drawer in the back seat as she drove around town, Yeah, uh, which people yeah. listening would go, oh my God, and here you guys are climbing the racks like jungle gyms, playing on forklifts, which I'm sure there's parents going, I'm not letting my kids <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> so so I love that. So uh, when, when you look back, uh, Liam, you're involved in the business from a very early age. When did entrepreneurship kind of take a hold of you? Like, you know, you grew up uh, like uh, on the farm, but were you thinking about making money at an early age and was entrepreneurship something that was there or was that something that fostered way later, like university where you started thinking, Hey, this is something that, that might be for me. Good question. We, uh, I like to say that we were, you know, as, as kids, you know, we're, you know, we setting up lawn mowing services and starting our own business. And I don't know if that was the total reality. Like, you know, there, there's a certain, I reflect back, there's, instances where you know we'd we do things we my dad always you know was intrigued by that and liked the idea of it so we went down a path a couple different times to try a few different things you know we set up a uh what was it a lemonade stand but you know the the, the traffic on the, the range roads out to northwest like wasn't that high that it wasn't <laughs> was it a big money maker uh, <laughs> 15 dollars for a lemonade to break even that's, that's right yeah i gotta cover my overhead here help me out <laughs> no <laughs> You know, and there's there's a few other little ventures we went down, but I, I think that I I didn't realize you know where that was going until later years. I when originally in university, I was registered to go into geology, um, and you know, I think there was just we had some family members that were uh, geologists, and it, it seemed like an interesting path. But you know, it all of a sudden you know, it became clear to me that you know one day I was, I was researching you know, the options that uh, business was the path. And I actually took my, the degree was in, uh, at the Campus Saint-Jean. So it was a bilingual degree. So I, the French was a, kind of at the core of the degree and they had the business program. And it just, I don't know, I guess it just spoke to me then. And one of the, actually the, you know, I like the, the best kind of most, the best experience I had to kind of at early stages in entrepreneurship was uh, through the university, I, I uh, ended up signing up for one of the, the franchise um, painters, college pro painters. And I went and ran a business with that. And holy smokes, like what an amazing experience. Like if I was to choose one or the other, a, a BCom or, a, you know, doing that, that program, I would choose that, you know, running the painting franchise all day, every day, because, you, you know, you learned everything business in the box from hiring. They start you off with, you know, just basic skills and marketing and, hustle and hiring and um, sales and financials. And I, you know, I versus using a service, I uh, ended up, you know, setting up all my own, doing all my own books and setting up the chart of accounts and QuickBooks. And you kind of learn this whole cycle of a business and, you know, in a micro capacity, but uh, it, it just gives you such a, you know, a real view of how business works and the frustrations and the stress of the sleepless nights. And like, Holy man, I've got eight people hired and no work on Monday. Like what the <laughs> heck am I going to do? Like, you know, it's, it's, it, which is real. Like you, we experience that today, every, you know, where things change and, you know, in the, that micro kind of controlled environment experienced that then. So I'd, I'd say that that was probably one of the single biggest things that really influenced the behavior. And ultimately it, it you know, it, it turned out in that I was able to put myself through school kind of independently and, you know, pay my way and learn a bunch of different skill sets. And uh, so, yeah, I guess, it, you know, there's a number of different things that led us this direction. But uh, yeah, I, I feel I, I don't feel a second of hesitation that, you know, I ever went the, the wrong path and, you know, questioned if I would, well, this was really for me, it just seems I, I get up every day and, you know, believe that I can be my best in the world's my oyster. And it's, it's a, it's a nice feeling. So I, I like that story about college pro painters, right? I mean, I've heard about it. I've heard of other people yeah. go through it. Uh, and you called it business in a box and in terms of skills, real life, real world. You know, part of our audience is about people thinking about starting a business. And and if you were to say to anybody in that, that path, like if you said, you know, if you really want to build something, you know, here's like the number one, number two thing, like do this first, do this second. You got to know these things and, and you got to commit to this. What would, what piece of advice might you give somebody? So I'm, I'm very people oriented general in my, 
my approach and building, you know, the right people and team culture, I think are probably the two single biggest things you could do to set yourself up for success. So I, I'd say, yeah, start, figure out, you know, who you're surrounding yourself with, you know, and that's not just employees, your vendors, your partners, your customers, like be selective about, you know, your strategy around the people you surround yourself with. Cause I think that dictates a lot of uh, people's success. Like I, I, I tell people today at Fireball and the candidates, like I, I sit in on the final interview of every single person we hire, you know, service tech, warehouse, sales, management, whatever that is, I'm involved because we're small enough that I can, you know, make that realistic. But it's 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 important. I tell them, like, you know, you can't make a better decision than finding the most amazing person out there to join your business. And you can't make a bigger mistake than hiring the wrong person. Like, it's horribly expensive. So you... You know, you kind of just really give a lot of conscious thought and effort around, you know, what what the person you're bringing on, what their impact of and them hitting their potential could be. I think that that just could set you up leaps and bounds. And, you know, I like you know, kind of speaking to that college pro experience. That was one of the first things you do after you, you know, develop a little bit of sales as you go out and hire your crews to execute your work. And, you know, what a difference between when you take the time to do it right and get the right people life just goes smoother when you rush through it and just hire someone who's breathing it in a heartbeat. Like it, it just doesn't, everything's harder when you're not surrounded by the people that, you know, help you achieve your goals. And uh, I'd, I'd say that that's, that, yeah, that'd be the, the place I'd start with Chad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People love, and culture. Yeah. I love that. Success is a team sport, right? Absolutely. You can't do it yeah. on your own. I, I like that mentality, the, the abundance mentality and surrounding yourself uh, with like-minded people. So how does this manifest itself in in Fireball today, just in terms of, you said, building team culture? So sitting in the interview, and and I think culture, you know, is really important, especially as you're a smaller organization because you get to touch everybody. But as it starts to grow and grow and you get further away from that, it gets harder and harder. Um, so is there anything specific you guys are doing inside the organization at Fireball to build culture, to keep people engaged? Because I see that your core values are, you know, passion, integrity, teamwork. Um, how does that get fostered inside of Fireball? You know, and I, it just breaks my heart that that's what you you read up and see, Matthew, because we actually have updated our core values and we haven't really kind of re-rolled our branding. Like the, the, I feel like core values are such an uh, important piece of the business, um, but it, it starts inside. And, you know, while there's some stuff that's published outside, you know, we've, we've updated since then. You know, we act, we did a had a leadership transition when I came into the role, and you know, right around that time, we restated our our core values, and I feel like we nailed them down to something that was a little bit more meaningful, like a, versus a little bit maybe more sanitary ones. The you know, teamwork integrity. It's like, oh, we, we believe in integrity. It's like, well, who the hell doesn't kind of thing, right? But you know, we so the you know nailing that I think has been that's been really important, but. Honestly, the as far as the building the culture, I, I think that one thing we've struggled with um, hitting on the head over the years is, you know, uh, you know, my my dad was saying his clear view of the world that you know this isn't a family business, this is a for profit corporation that happens to have family members working in it or something to that extent, right? <laughs> and but ultimately, like I, I think that I, I think that being a family, a work family, is something that's you should be really proud of. So I, I'll. I think that most people in our business would attest that, that, you know, us as an employer, you know, we genuinely care. And that's not something that you can, you know, put together like a caring strategy and roll out, you know, fireball cares kind of thing. Like this is, it's, it's as evidenced by actions and being for people when they're struggling, being there for people when they're struggling. And, you know, right now, particularly, there's a lot of people and a lot more than we see that are really struggling through COVID and through the kind of, the languishing environment that we're, we're in as a society right now. And just being there when people need us most, uh, you build for one loyalty for life with the, with these people um, helping them out. And for two, it just, it, it makes you feel like you're making a positive impact. Like, and you know, you think about that higher purpose and uh, vision that you try to you know, build for your build for the organization. Like I, 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 we do a lot of things ethically. We do things right. We are very, you know, conscious on on quality and environmental. But ultimately, do I feel like putting in oil change systems were, you know, one pump at a time making the world a better place? Like that's not probably the reality. But what it is the reality is that every person that we bring into our, you know, into our fold into this work family, we are making their life better. We are the vehicle that we, they can take from, you know, being in a one place when they start with us into another place when eventually they depart, that we're able to be that that vehicle that 
makes their life better and grow grow with us like that that actually that vision statement grow together is is something that uh is, is that's what we kind of nail down as our vision statement because uh it, i think that that's the role that an employer can play in you know financial and education and support and security net is incredible and if we can make a big difference in one or two people's lives or 60 or 65 people's lives then that's something that you can really feel proud that you've made the world a better place and you know set people up for success in their life and for their families so yeah i mean i, I guess i kind of <laughs> digress a little bit as far as the original question about how you build culture but to me it's just it's about being there for your people and being people oriented organization and you know we, we actually had four new people start this week that we just hired and the most incredible people like i just feel so blessed that we have them on the team and you know their their feedback already it's like holy smokes like we just don't we don't you don't see this elsewhere you don't see that that heart and soul of a business in in general and i think that if businesses aren't leading with the heart they're missing they're missing the mark this week's episode brought to you by sandler training Sandler Edmonton works with local Edmonton-based growth-focused companies. Developing your people is critical in this changing business climate in Alberta. The reality is the team that got you here and those skills might not be the team or skill sets needed to get you to where you want to be. Some organizations are really struggling with no more belly-to-belly sales and had a very difficult time transitioning to social selling, i.e. using LinkedIn, other social media platforms, and doing virtual sales. Other companies are just really frustrated with the amount of discounting, and it just feels like they're being commoditized, which means every deal closed feels like they're trading dollars for deals. If there's any of that going on in your world, reach out to Sandler Training. You can connect with them at www.aon.sandler.com slash podcast interesting yeah and and we've heard a lot of those kinds of stories um i want to i want to get into the bit of the family dynamic you already alluded sure. to the fact that your dad had a very different kind of view on the world than you do right he is more engineering sure. focused you're more people focused there's a lot of i don't know if it's true but statistically saying well first generation builds the business second generation basically spends the money and the third generation takes the business and sells yeah. it and goes out of business or something right yeah. it's very yeah. it, there's not a lot of success stories past third generation so and and then you know of course you know you're in a forced partnership because it's your dad right and that comes with i know my dad and my relationship i love him things i love about him some things drive me crazy and i'm never going to change him but you know it's that's kind of who he is and of course around the kitchen table that led to various discussions and you know we had it, it was complicated right it wasn't like Oh yeah, here's your succession plan, and now you know. So I'm curious how you navigate how you navigated the family dynamic, and what were some of the challenges with it? Like, like because you're in a forced partner, it's not like you'd say, you know, shotgun claws, you're out, and then I never see you again, right? Yeah. No, you're you're together. <laughs> so maybe you get to talk a little bit about that family dynamic, just because there's so many family businesses in in this region. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I, I, I'd love to say that it's, you know, there's easy and you follow a simple playbook and you just get it figured out, but that's, that's not the reality, right? It, it's, it's, it can get messy at times. And ultimately when, uh, you know, it's not just me, my, my brothers, my older brother has formerly worked in the business and my little brother still does. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, and then our, we have another entity that uh, for the building that we're in that my wife is involved. So when you get, when you get, uh, you know, all of these different lines across where, you know, one, action to you know irritate someone you know blows back into you know into all these other circles where you're where you touch each other it, it does complicate things because you know my my dad is he's my dad he's the honor board he's a partner in the building he's my kids grandparents my wife's father-in-law like it, 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 there's you know there's strings attached to everything so mm-hmm. it, it certainly does make it uh, make it more um, challenging at times but I mean, ultimately, you—it it also is like a, such a great formula that you know. I know that he has his heart in the right place, and he knows that I have my heart in the right place at all times. So even if you would agree about you know which way you're going and how you get there, because we inevitably are going to take probably opposite paths to you know get from A to B. At least we know that the the intentions and the values are right, and that you know you kind of helps you see through some of the. The short-term obstacles because it's not like I, they don't exist they certainly always do but we always find a way through them and the line and ultimately like we just we have a lot of fun like it, it's i 
you know, we could back in the day when you could go out and go for walks and go for lunch and dim sum and that kind of thing, it'd be like a once or twice a week affair, just uh, collaborating and brainstorming and talking about things. Like it's, 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 it's nice. It's a good bonding time as well, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it is its own unique uh, environment. Uh, the the thing I will say too, like, you know, being, being uh, a son of the boss, the SOB, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's under a different light and that than every other employee, like while, you know, there certainly are opportunities afforded to you that maybe aren't necessarily, uh, you know, not, not as afforded to everyone else and equally. And I, right now I don't pretend that that isn't true because that is the reality, you know, I, in a lot of ways, like when someone messes up in the business, uh, you know, when you and I'm getting started in the business and someone messes up, it's like, look past, but when Liam messes up, it's like extra scrutiny, right? Like it's hard to, <laughs> you know, you're, it's, it's harder on being a, the family member and uh, the child of the, of the founder than it probably is for the average employee as well. So I really try to approach it and overcompensate from a place of merit, you know, so that there's, there's no question about whether this is a, you know, is the decisions made out of nepotism or is it made out of merit? And I try to 100% lead and uh, prove that the decisions made out of merit and just appreciate that if there is a, you know, a family connection that helps you through that process, that that's uh, something to be grateful and feel blessed about. But uh, otherwise, you know, you got to show your stripes on the world. This isn't a, it's not a handout. Nothing's a handout. <laughs> yeah, no. And you, and that's a, that's a key thing, right? It's, it's, you're under, under, under scrutiny for sure from other employees yeah. who are looking to say, can this guy actually do it? So yeah. Liam, from, if, you, if you're looking back at the past, um, has there been a situation where, obviously you guys see the world in two very different ways, people orientated and, and task orientated people. Has there ever been like, you know, a nuclear bomb where you guys were both on opposite ends? There, there's, there's a big disagreement on how you guys see a specific situation and how did you guys resolve it? And what did you learn just from the interaction, being that you're so different with this really complicated dynamic? How do you resolve something when you both look at it completely different? And like you said, your dad goes, this, this is the way right? Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, how, how did you guys get past it? And, and what did you learn just from that dynamic? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example here, Matt. I mean, I, I think the probably the best examples just come into into people management and performance management, which is, you know, there's, there's, you know, the people can take training and read books, and, you know, bound, or countless books about that kind of thing. And it's complicated, and people are ultimately very complex. And so, you know, that the whole thought process of what value people bring to the organization is, and, you know, at what point do you invest in, or what point do you call it and stop investing in people probably is where we'll, we'll see that most. And, you know, so, uh, you know, so my dad being of that technical background, he, he always is prided and valued uh, knowledge, you know, almost above all else. So people who, you know, were, you know, he saw as some of the most valuable employees are the people who are the most value or uh, knowledgeable or experienced and people, um, whereas, you know, maybe the partially from where I come from, the people that I'm attracted to are the up and comers who are hungry and, you know, trying to grow with the business and not necessarily the, the uh, coming just with strictly knowledge. But, you know, we, we've had disagreements about, you know, I remember there was a time where there was, there was an employee that we had that, and neither actually ended up working for us anymore, but there's an employee that we had that, uh, you know, Joe felt was adding a lot of value, but I saw there was a culture value fit that, uh, you know, we, we need to address because they aren't a good fit for the team. And then there's an employee that I saw a lot of value in that he saw that there was a huge gap as far as their capability and their capacity to do their work. But I saw the, you know, the possibility and the good intention. I, I wanted to see it through with them. So we both kind of, you know, were, I, I honestly, I think they're both probably employees that were challenged to fit in with or be the best employee. Like if we were, would we enthusiastically rehire either of them? Probably not, but you know we would go in constant kind of uh, back and forth about this, about we, what constitutes a good employee and what constitutes someone who needs to be exited from the organization. Because there's a different approach to that, and you know the you know whether that's performance and knowledge and merit or just value fit, and that uh, I mean that's probably not as tangible and realistic of a or specific enough of an example you're looking for, Matt, but it's, there's, you know, just seeing the people side differently is probably where it comes down to the most uh, difference sometimes because, you know, we just come from different places and, and value people in maybe a slightly different fashion, but 
I, I, ultimately, I think we we end up aligning, and in this case, we certainly would did as well, and uh, you know, finding the same page eventually over time. Yeah, it sounds like your family's got good communication strategies to get through some of those those challenges, right? And that's probably a key part of of getting through it. You can have different outlooks, but if you respect and value the same thing, at the end of the day, you can come to uh, an agreement. You know, it's not about winning and losing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and so when you, now that you're in the driver's seat, you're the president, um, you're setting kind of the, the path for the company. What are some of the, the growth strategies you have in play over the next, you know, year or two? Like where are you, where do you want to take this business? Why do you want to take it there? You know, what's your vision for Fireball? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So, I mean, and truthfully, we, we just had our, our, our board meeting uh, here last week and, you know, a lot of that discussion is all, you know, forward looking strategic base and, you know, and there's, there's threats facing our business that are, you know, not insignificant, right? Like I shared, we're in the oil change business and, you know, uh, Ford just released that they're rolling out an electric F-150 and that's not requiring many oil changes. So there's some big external threats to our business. So that that strategy and vision, I think, is probably more important now than ever. And truthfully, that's something that, uh, you know, we struggle to to wrap our head around to know exactly, you know, here's the one, here's exactly where we're going and here's the one, two, three step to get there because there's a lot of different possibilities. So, you know, as, as far as in the, the short term, like I think that, you know, while we are generally high market share in our local market in the Edmonton and the Alberta, Western Canada market, we're, you know, pretty, pretty high market share. I mean, that's, there's a hundred and thinking about just in the scope of uh, mining, like there's something like 125 mine sites in Canada, you know, if we can be high, high market share in a couple provinces there's you know a lot more provinces and mine sites out there that uh, could use our our services and then you think about in a global capacity you know canada's developed market um, with developed supply chain you know there's all sorts of opportunities when you start uh, looking international and we're, we're doing the project right now overseas in uh, in asia that you know we are the perfect partner for them coming from our experience and background and we're going to do some major work over there uh by the looks of it and uh so we we could you know if we have you know thinking about it five ten percent global market share you know even if there is a slightly declining market we can uh, increase our our growth by just uh, increasing that market share and stepping into some of these these other markets that are more developing but i mean ultimately i think that we we are thinking about uh about diversification, you know, geographic diversification, you know, product diversification and market diversification. So it's, I, you know, I'd love to, you know, share that we've got uh, the the crystal ball of how the things are all going to play through, but, you know, things are unpredictable and probably now more than they ever have been in a lot of ways. So, you know, I think that we, we kind of just uh, double down on some of the things that have made us successful. Like I talk about the people, like if we, we get the right people on the bus, like I can, we can, take a lot of drive it to a lot of different places and you know we put a lot of work into that but uh yeah we we there's uh, there need to be major changes in our our business and our strategy over the next three to five years for us to be long-term sustainable and and i and i totally think that our organization is you know getting ready and we'll get there where we are willing to make those changes and make those pivots because it's that's going to be inevitable for us to be long-term thriving so Liam, with your with your view of you know the culture and this all being about people, it sounds like yep. that is very important in your business. Has there come a point in time that you've experienced where you know you you've put a lot into that, you've put a lot into people, and it's backfired? Where you know you trusted them, something happened, they left, you know, something where you know you look at it and you're just like you know you're disappointed through that process, and has that changed your view on? people or, or are you just steadfast in this is just the right thing to do we're going to keep doing it no matter what um talk to us just a little bit about it because i think people are important but uh hmm. you, know, you get a lot of ups and downs with that i'm just curious your view on it absolutely yeah no i i think you know one specific example comes to mind where i invested uh just a ton of energy in into a person that i you know, saw potential with and it you know ended up not ended up not working out and ended up in some, you know, probably some bitterness on both sides towards the end, which, you know, I, I think it is pretty easy to become jaded when, you know, something like that happens when you're, you know, the, the vision that you have for the person and for our, our potential together, you know, it starts going off track that uh, it's easy to, you know, not put yourself out there again in the same way. But ultimately, like I, 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 I like to say optimistic. I, I don't think that, you know, I'm not one of those people who say that people are inherently evil. I, I, I believe in people. And so while maybe there's some process steps that uh, we put in place to, you know, recognize when there's misfits earlier and, uh, you know, 
insulate ourselves from getting into a tight spot. Uh, I, I, I would, if I'd had to do it all over again, maybe take a little different approach, but I would, I'd, you know, pour ourselves into another person to do that. Like I, I, there's, there's more good people out there with well and good intentions than there are, you know, people who are trying to, you know, screw you over. So I, I, I try to, you know, keep it all in context, Matthew, like, but it, it, it is tough sometimes because it's, you know, letting people into that circle of trust and having that trust broken is, is it that it does hurt. But uh, I mean, I, I don't think it means that you should uh, stop, you know, letting people in ever again kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And that can be challenging, especially if you did, like you said, spend a lot of energy, you know, in, in thinking that person would be a, a solution or a, a real key cog in your, in your business. You know, people have a lot of beliefs around, you know, owning a business. You get to play golf whenever you want. You probably have your own private plane. Um, I'm going to guess you have a couple sports cars somewhere. Like it's all fun and games. But reality is um, there's probably some myths out there that need to be broken around business ownership and and, and what it really means. If, if you could break a myth, if you could say this is something you need to really understand about running and owning a business, um, what would you share with our listeners? For one... We drive a minivan. We've got three little kids. Like, I, I don't know, you can't, you know, those two-seater sports cars don't do much for our lifestyle. <laughs> can't fit, can't fit, fit a car seat in a Ferrari? Is that what you're saying, Liam? Well, I haven't tried, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I guess, the you know, my what I grew up with, you know, I talked a lot about, uh, you know, my dad as kind of the, that person who kind of set the stage for, um, you know, being in this seat and being responsible for all the people around us. Like, I think it comes from a lot of, you know, I, I totally respect the, the, the place coming from humility. Like, I don't think still to the day he's ever owned a new vehicle. And, you know, I, I've always appreciated and admired the the people who have, you know, great wealth, who you could walk by them in the street and absolutely never know it. Like, we've never been ones to to flaunt it. And I, I, I never really liked that. So, I mean, certainly it affords, you know, being a place of, uh, you know, business leadership and ownership. Like, I think it affords luxuries and it ultimately affords security where I, you know, I empathize with you. We have staff that I'm sure that's, you know, still live paycheck to paycheck and you, and you, you want to be able to break that cycle and set them up long-term and, you know, being in the place that uh, where you, you know, where we're in, where you're not necessarily paycheck to paycheck uh, is, is a huge mental load off of us. And you just feel, I feel grateful for that. But I mean, certainly, you know, there's, there's also a lot at stake, right? There's, you know, when you have everything risked and, you know, I think that a lot of nature, a lot of family businesses is there's not like you have a diverse portfolio of, you know, 15 different investments. And if one goes sideways, then you'll recover. Like the reality is that, you know, a lot of eggs are in one basket. And so you're depending on, you know, that, that uh, your one you know major investment to work out for the you know, your, you know, my parents' retirement and, you know, my future and that kind of thing. So there's, you know, just inherent with it, there's stress and risk that's just tied up in every single decision and performance and non-performance. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, maybe there are, you know, uh, certainly stories and, you know, uh, perceptions of glamour, but I don't think what, you know, gets published and brought out to the people in general who aren't in, you know, places of business leadership and ownership is all of the, you know, all of the, the sleepless night side and the stress and, you know, when, and we've been through it, like, you know, the reality is that over the last couple of years, it's been, you know, between the cyclical oil economy and the COVID, like there's times where we look forward and we say, like, are we actually going to survive this? Like, will I lose my house? And, you know, I could probably speak more for my, my, my father, but you know, the, when, when you have that kind of thing, you know, hang over your head when you're faced with every little decision like there is no small decision everything's big so i, I don't think that everyone necessarily uh, you know understands or you know shares that perspective and uh it's 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 not uh, for the faint of heart so with with all the ups and downs liam I'm, I'm just curious if you were to look at you know your biggest failure just from your perspective through your journey of entrepreneurship what would you consider the the biggest challenge you've run into from a failure standpoint and, and what did you learn from it you know i don't know if there is any any one failure that i can draw a line that you know that it, it just was you know crashed and burned so hard like you know in the business obviously some things go well and some things don't um you know i, I feel like i it has i've been fortunate enough that you know i've had enough mentorship and uh coaching and you know i'm in 
tech groups and have a real strong network of peers and family that you know have been able to you know steer clear of these you know these big chasms that you could fall into one one thing but uh, I, nothing's really specifically coming to mind Matthew I hope that's not as exciting of an answer as you're probably <laughs> hoping for but you know I, I think I just you know something that I'm you know, grateful for you know in in my in uh, my life and career that I've you know had that insulation and you know to a certain degree you almost feel uh, you know when you you see the other people you know around you peers that don't have that that level of support you almost you you feel feel bad because I, I I'm incredibly lucky in that sense so um, you know obviously we've you know we talked a lot about the the people side of things like you know making a a, a bet on the wrong person is probably uh, you know probably the biggest single thing and you know I, I haven't you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but, you know, to, prior to my transition into the leadership role at Fireball, you know, we, we'd kind of tried to go to, go to market and uh, find a, a leader for the business before I was probably ready for it. And well, certainly before I was ready for that and for my dad to step away and, and invested in other leadership. And, and uh, well, I think we had high hopes for things. We maybe had some ill-conceived plans and the results of uh, bringing in someone ex- external really had impact on the culture. And well, I think with the best intentions, took our business the the, the wrong direction. When you think about uh, kind of what you know, the, the vision and uh, the culture that we built up over the previous you know, 25 or 24 years, you know, it's not a decision you can make lightly to just hand over the reins. And uh, when someone has a different picture uh, for what the business should be and how it should operate, like it, that, you know, probably, yeah, this would be the biggest one. Like it, it, it drove us to the, the, probably the brink of extinction. And for with, which was a tough part that, you know, the, with the best intentions and hard work, the, the business just started failing because there was a, you know, we have that cultural misfit towards the top of the organization and i think largely that's it's you know that was it was process over people and not people over process which is uh with how kind of we grew up where you you know for the sake of the people and sake of the customer you'd you kind of uh do anything and that that changed so yeah so i don't know if that's this isn't all specifically on you know a specific failure but uh trending over that trust and uh to, of the business and how they are, you know, someone else would steward, you know, these other 65 people, uh, through the unpredictable nature of, of, uh, our market. It, it, it pretty close came back to biting us, but thankfully I think we, uh, readjusted in time to, you know, make some changes, but, uh, yeah, it, it could have been really, you know, impactful and you know, hurtful to or damaging to, uh, to our business and uh, our, the future of our kind of family as well. And we, I guess we, wow. we, we narrowly uh, avoided that and uh, certainly learned from it. So yeah, I don't know if that's yeah. clear or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. And, it, and I think Liam, I think it just state, you know, that how critical it is that the, the people at the top of the organization have an understanding of the leaders, like the, the culture and the values that you guys want to create, what's made you successful. You know, you see this in professional sports teams all the time, right? You bring somebody in who's supposed to, you know, do something yet they don't fit, right? And not that they're bad people, not that they have bad intentions. It's just, you know, getting that fit exactly. is so tricky. And as, as a leader and as an organization, you foster that inside your organization for years. And because and pe- that's what people want to follow. They want to follow a vision and, and kind of like, yeah, you're right. It's not that sexy putting in oil change equipment. I mean, it's important. You need to do it, but that's not the why, right? People will people want to be connected to something, and and that's your culture. It's it, this is an Edmonton based podcast, Liam. Yeah. You know, so we're, we want to know, you know, what is it about doing business in in Edmonton that's unique or different, or has helped you guys in in creating success at Fireball? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I, we feel so you know, lucky to be in this business community. Like, you know, we talk about uh, my dad and the history of the business and, uh, you know, where we got our start. And ultimately we were blessed with being, you know, with the right, the right uh, supply chain with the the right partnerships within the right area and the right timing to pick up an uptick in the market. But I mean, certainly being located in Edmonton was uh, foundational in our business growing to the sense that it has. And I, you know, I, my, my personal observations in, in the business community here is that it just, it's such a, you know the the reputation of being this blue collar, unassuming town. I, I just love that. Like I, I, you know, like I said, we come from a place of humility and not you know trying to flaunt our status or title or wealth. And Edmonton just kind of seems to be the the local culture that is unassuming and willing to help and get your hands dirty and jump in. And it, it just fits naturally with like how we are built as a business and the culture that we have. 
Um, so yeah, I, I feel incredibly grateful. You know, there's certainly the, the, um, you know, some of the proximities where we're geographically located, you know, we have, you know, with Fort McMurray close to us, it, uh, you know, feed a lot of the business community here and we are, you know, wouldn't pretend that that isn't a major factor because we've been, uh, you know, involved in that community for many years as well. But yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot of amazing people here and the deeper, you know, kind of the networks grow in Edmonton, the more appreciative you are of uh, the business community. And it just seems like I, honestly, I feel like I, you could, you could reach out and call up literally anyone in the business community here and then make time for you. There's not the, that, you know, um, that vision of the status that, uh, you know, someone's below or above, it's just kind of everyone's on an equal playing field and it opens up a lot of doors for people. So uh, I think it's a great community that uh, we intend to be investing in for a long time to come. Yeah, that's a pretty common sentiment that we've heard about Edmonton. I, I, I like how you phrased it that, you know, blue collar, but more, more importantly, hardworking and open to helping, which is fantastic. Because I think anybody who's, who's listening to this, you did say, you know, one of the biggest things that you would tell somebody to focus on is who you surround yourself with. You know, not only staff and vendors and friends, but who are your mentors? And there's lots of extremely successful businesses out here in Edmonton that would be open if you were to reach out to those people and they would be there to support you, right? They, they, there might be some they can, you know, direct you in the right place to, to get information or who to connect with. But the, the community in Edmonton is very open, which I think is fantastic. So Liam, on your journey, we definitely t- talk a lot about habits, about what it takes to be successful. Is there any one habit for you specifically that you can point to that you think has shaped you as an entrepreneur that you do on purpose that makes you who you are that allows you to be more successful you know be honest i'm not a a huge habit guy i don't drive the same way home from work every single day matthew but (laughs) i uh i'd say honestly that it sounds maybe trivial or small but like smile like have a little bit of optimism bring some joy bring some levity to it like if if everyone's taking themselves so seriously like what fun is that like there's, there's a lot of uh, you know, joy and happiness and, you know, uh, fun to be had in, in business and life and in networking. So, you know, go out and have your best. You know, I, I'm, I'm part of a, a Tech Canada group and uh, or, or key group, which has been hugely valuable to me as far as a support network. And uh, this week I showed up with, uh, you know, everyone's kind of done up in their business casual and I show up in a watermelon shirt. And everyone's like, <laughs> what the hell, man? I'm like, hey guys, it's, it's raining outside and we get to spend an entire day with some of the people we trust and respect the most like well let's have some joy like, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I i'd say that just you know that as far as that maybe that's a seize the day kind of attitude but i, I feel like that's it's contagious and i i can't surround myself with enough of that so maybe I, that's it i you know i like that i i think we do take ourselves way too seriously and in in a lot of ways and, and i agree like you know what's the point if we're not having fun along the journey right i mean i think too much too, too many of us fixate on the end game and go when when we get here we'll we'll enjoy it mm-hmm. versus why don't we enjoy it all the way through? And then it can be a whole lot of fun while supporting our families. So I, I think that's a really good sentiment and, and I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, how do how do listeners connect with you, Liam? How do they follow you if they want on social media or what's kind of, you know, how do they stay connected with your business if they want? Uh, probably the best way is on LinkedIn. I am active in that community. I, you know, on all the other social media platforms that have become a little bit of a recluse, like in the world of children, I think that, you know, my high school friends I'm not in touch with don't even know that we have three kids. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, the, uh, LinkedIn is a good way to reach out and I'll uh, certainly accept the you know, connection request and happy to, happy to touch base. And, you know, with Fireball, like, we're, we're active on all the social media channels. So we're in the newsletter on our webpage if you want. And so uh, reach out to us. We've got a, some really awesome people on our, on our marketing side, Matthew and Jared, who uh, run that side of things. So the, certainly there's lots of ways to connect with Fireball. So I encourage it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that that makes a lot of sense when when you said here here's my habit smile. I, I you know being a people person that makes a lot of sense. It's congruent, and, and I really like what you said. You know, I wake up. You know, I, I try to be my best, and it's a great feeling. It's so congruent to to everything else you said today. So, uh, Liam, I really want to thank you for your time. It was it was really great to to understand the journey you've been through, the family dynamic, uh, you know, the ups and downs of the businesses, and the lessons you've got along the way. Uh, and I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So, I want to thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, guys, it's a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Liam. That's a wrap. Episode over. You know what to do. Please. Leave a review, subscribe would mean the absolute world to us.